On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Sovereign Lord, they said, you made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them. For, from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. I'd like to speak to you today on the subject from this passage, how to be a healthy church. Can we say that together? What makes a church healthy according to Acts? The church is just a few months old at this point. Over 5,000 men plus women and children could be 15,000 or more people uh, making a great impact for the Lord. How are they living? Because a lot of the members are from other countries. Uh, they're Jewish in religion and ethnicity, but they're from miles and miles away. They come to Jerusalem for a feast season and wound up staying because they became believers in Yeshua as their Messiah, and there's the first church being planted. And this is how they operated. A man had been healed on, in the temple on the way to a prayer meeting. Peter and John were used by God to raise him up, to walk again. He'd been lame for 40 years. A whole community knew about this guy because he would beg at the main entrance into the temple proper. And it was shocking to the religious authorities and the, and the government officials. And so they arrested Peter and John for proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus based on this miracle and uh, put him in jail overnight. Then the next morning, they threatened him. And so Peter and John did what I think every healthy local church needs to do. If you're a believer, this is what you need to do. You need to reach out to someone when you're threatened. When you're discouraged, go to someone that will encourage you. Now, someone with skin on, someone real, someone that can hug you, someone that can shake your hand. 
We live in the day where social media is at an all-time high, but that's not real friendship per se. Not really. I saw the cartoon of, a, of an empty chapel and there's a casket in front of the chapel and two people present. And one of them said, I don't understand the low turnout. He had 2,000 Facebook friends. Reach out to one another when threatened. Our first verse of our text today says, when they were released from being arrested and threatened, they returned to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said. Don't be like this guy. When you feel threatened, when you feel discouraged or depressed, you go into seclusion, staying away from people that have the ability to encourage you. If nothing else, to know you're not alone. If they were threatened, they were threatened. How to be a healthy church? We want to react to bad news with praise and worship. When Satan comes against you, when your enemies rise up, when they beat you, worship the Lord. It's one of our greatest weapons as believers. When they heard these threats, verse 24, they raised their voice to God and with one accord said, Lord, You are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is in them. They're recognizing God in his greatness right at the beginning because they're fixing to pray. When you get threatened, it's time to pray, amen? The next chapter, sure enough, they got arrested again and beaten. How did they react to that? The, The chief priests weren't making empty threats. This actually created suffering. It says they went from the presence of the council after they'd taken a beating, they went back to the people that cared about them, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. Is life giving you a beating? Are you praising the Lord? How many remember the story of Willie Myrick? This happened three or four years ago. Willie, at the time, was nine years old. His parents were atheists, but his grandma took him to church. And he loved Jesus and the Bible. Can quote the word. He did when the National News caught uh, wind of this story that I'm fixing to tell you. He uh, was quoting scripture even on that. A bold witness for the Lord. Nine years old, kidnapped, apprehended by strangers. Put in their car and they're going somewhere on a trip. Who knows what they're going to do to him. And he begins to worship. He can't call 911. He can't cry and say, take me to my mommy. That doesn't give any comfort to him. But he had been taught. And he began to sing, every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Every praise, every praise is to our God. God, my Savior. God, my healer. God, my deliverer, yes, he is, yes, he is, every praise is to... For three hours, they couldn't get him to shut up. They threw him out of the car. (laughs) Are you depressed? Are you down? Are you threatened? Have you been beaten? Are you praising the Lord? The enemy wants to apprehend you and your potential shut you down, make your world real small. It's time to bust out with some every praise is to our God. When you're challenged, remember God's promises. 
here at the beginning of their prayer, they're declaring God's greatness, and then they begin to quote Scripture and apply it to their situation. Who by the mouth of your servant David, verse 25, have said, Why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. What is this they're saying? They're quoting a prophecy of David, Psalm 2, where he goes on to say, He who sits in the heavens, verse 4, shall laugh. So how will God respond to this horror? People standing against him and gathering together against him and his son. The Lord who sits in the heavens shall laugh. He shall hold them in derision. He shall speak to them in his wrath and distress them in his great displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. And I believe this decree was made at his resurrection. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and the ends of the earth as your possession. So they were connecting to that messianic promise in their prayer. It's important to do that. It's also important to recognize God's sovereignty in everything. Who knows God is in control? They said, for truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel. See, everybody's related to the crucifixion of Jesus, were gathered together to do what? Crucify Jesus. And, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determine to before to be done. Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. His enemies wound up working for him. Was it right doing what they did? No. Ultimate sin, killing the Son of God. I mean, that's huge. You slap me around, but don't slap my child around, right? It's a pain of all its own. God's determined purpose willed it to be done. Peter reflects this in his first sermon. Talking about the crucifixion of Jesus, he said, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. So delivered by God's determined purpose and his foreknowledge, you have taken by lawless hands and crucified and put to death, whom God raised up having loose the pains of death because it was not possible that he should be held by it. So sure they sinned, sure they crucified Jesus, but guess what? It was by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. And we say this together, God is in control. God is in control. When I was nine years old, my family moved to Liberia, West Africa, the land of malaria, the land of amoebas and all kinds of strange diseases, the land of graves for missionaries. My parents were told by folks, oh, you don't want to go there? That's the white man's graveyard. We would get cassette tapes from grandparents, and grandma would cry, oh, we miss you so much. Oh, it's so dangerous over there. But my parents had a word a word of wisdom. And this was the word. They would use it like a sword when facing discouragement. And that word was, nothing can happen to me unless God allows it. And if God allows it, 
He will use it for my good. Nothing can happen to me unless God allows it. And if God allows it, he will use it for my good. We got sick from time to time. We had a physician and dentist there. But we were protected as well. I mean, my parents raised four kids, no broken bones their whole childhood. One of them got a sprain, I think. Nothing can happen to you unless God allows it. And if God allows it, he'll use it for your good. Well, if I jump off this roof, I'll break my leg. Is that God's will? No, but it's his will that you learn to respect the power of gravity, so he will use it for his glory, see? All things, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Anybody love God? Anyone called according to his purpose? Verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of Jesus, which means everything happens in my life. God is going to use it for my good. My good isn't my will being fulfilled. My good is his will being fulfilled. It's his plan A. He has no plan B. His plan A for you and me is that we are conformed to the image of Jesus. If you have any coins in your pocket or your purse, that coin has images on it. And those images are put there by by melting the ore and molding the metal, forming the image. The crap that happens to us in life, the mess that creates a message, the test that creates a testimony, the trial that becomes a triumph is God's way. He will use it to make you and I more like Jesus. We have been predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So we do not have a right to hold on to anger to those who offend us. Well, God gets angry, yes, and the Bible says his anger is but for a moment. Can you imagine if he had five minutes of anger? This place would melt. Why are we doing hanging on to anger for hours, days, weeks, months? You got my point. Let God use it. Find someone that cares about you that will tell you the truth and deal with it. Let that stuff go and become more like Jesus. If we're going to be a healthy church, we've got to pray and request his enabling to do his will always. They went on in verse 29. They prayed. Here's their prayer request now after declaring his promises and his greatness. He said, now, Lord, consider their threats and help us get out of here. No, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Their concern is the glory of the Son of God and not their own comfort and well-being. Lord, give us boldness to not back down because they're being told to shut up. They're being told to be quiet. Well, you know, I'm not going to be allowed to wear my cross around my neck at work. That's persecu- that is not persecution. Persecution is when you're being told to not talk about Jesus anymore. Now, obviously, if you're on the job to sell a product, you've got to talk about the product, not run off, run off all the customers by talking about Jesus. The point is, we must talk about the Lord. Lord, give us boldness to push past our fears and threats of the enemy And Lord, heal some folks. And this involved healing even those that were threatening them. 
within several dozen scriptures, we're going to see, not today, but on another Sunday, that a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Do you want God to heal your enemy? Jesus does. He said, bless those who curse you. Bless those who despitefully use you. Do good to those who do bad to you. Love your enemies, for in so doing, you'll be like your Father in heaven who causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. One of the most awesome stories I heard is that of an Ethiopian pastor named Tekle Marion. I think he's still alive, but this happened in the 70s. During an evil regime in Ethiopia, politically, Christians were under persecution, and a garrison of soldiers were sent to his house, and they burned it to the ground. And not only did they burn everything he had, but they picked up his baby son and threw him in the fire with him watching. Sometime later, a matter of months, maybe just a few years, he received word that the leader of that gang had a son that was deathly ill. You know what God led him to do? Go to his house and pray for his son. And guess what God did? Healed his son. Does that offend your mind? Oh, yeah, it messes with mine. But God offends our minds to reveal the condition of our hearts. Our lives cannot be our own. It cannot be all about me. It's all about him. Where is his baby today? In heaven. Eternal life, rescued from a lot of pain in the world. Is it just? No, it's totally unjust. But either Jesus paid it all or he didn't pay it at all. To be a healthy church, we must become bold by being filled with the Spirit often. So they prayed. Here's what God did. When they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken. It wasn't an earthquake. It was a place quake. They were all filled, all of them, with the Holy Spirit, including those that had been filled in Acts chapter 2. Here they are being filled again. And they spoke the word of God with boldness as a result of being filled. So being filled with the Holy Spirit is more than a one-time deal. Just like those who get drunk and like to get drunk, it's not a one-time deal. Paul wrote in, Ephesians 5.18, do not be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Getting drunk with wine, becoming a debauched person, it's more than a one-time deal. Becomes frequent. Become a frequent flyer, get filled with the Spirit. Somebody between services told me we don't need to be drunk on whining either. He goes on, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So being filled with the Spirit always involves praise and worship and thanksgiving. Our next point, if we're going to be a healthy church, we've got to learn to become stewards. Relinquish our ownership and become his steward. Look at what happened. The multitude of those who believed after this powerful prayer meeting were of one heart and one soul. Can we say one? They were unified. Neither did anyone say any of the things he possessed 
was his own, but they had all things in common. They had to. Because there was just believers that were homeless from other countries. And so they had this season of great unity. And persecution arose finally. Eight years later, people start going back home. And what do they do? They start preaching the gospel. And we'll see that in a future Sunday of, of what some of them did going back home. This is not socialism and it's not capitalism. It's Jesusism. Capitalism is what's mine is mine. Socialism is what's yours is mine. The government's going to help us get it from you. But Jesusism is what's mine is his. And as he leads, what's mine is yours. This is stewardship. They also did it in Acts 2. I mean, from day one. They're living together, selling their possessions of good and getting them, giving them to people that have need. Not once. This isn't Game Boys and toys. This is food and shelter and clothing. Living a stewardship life is all about our hearts, recognizing the fact that everything we have is a gift from God, and we're to use those things to take care of others, to help others. Because I'm a steward, I take care of what he's blessed me with, and I have an open hand should he lead me to bless. What's mine is his, and what's his is used to bless others. Well, I earn this with my hard-earned strength. Yep, and who gave you that strength? Well, I did. Well, really? Just take, let, let God take his hand the blessing off your life, see how long you last. Well, I had a great strategy. I made some great investments. Well, who gave you the intelligence to make those investments, to work that strategy, to come up with that wisdom, to go to school and learn what you learn, to earn that MBA. God's hand is at work in everything in our lives. Who's protecting us, keeping us alive, helping us survive? So every, he has, if he is Lord and we are his children, he's the father, we're his body, he's the head, then everything we have is his. We're blessed people, blessed to be a blessing. A healthy church will powerfully broadcast Jesus' resurrection. The next verse says, With great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Are you able to talk about the resurrection of Jesus effectively? Well, that's the preacher's job. Um, It is, but it's not his only job or her only job. It's everyone's job. We live in an unbelieving world that need to hear the good news of the resurrection. Why is it so important? Because he arose, we have hope of our resurrection. Because he arose, we no longer have to fear death. Because we, he arose, he's the first fruit. We are the results. He's the seed. We're the fruit. We have hope of life after death because of his life. There was an empty tomb. History records it. There certainly was a Jesus Christ who was executed. His enemies made sure he was dead. They made sure there was no fake resurrection. They wanted to end his influence. His followers were scaredy cats, but his resurrection, the empty tomb, empowered them to tell the story and not back down in the face of death and even torture. 
And after three centuries of fighting the resurrection story, the Roman Empire embraced it. And it has impacted the calendar. It's 2017 today. They can call it A-C-E all they want, but it's still A-D. It's the reign of Jesus. And 30 A-D, he conquered death for us. Become effective at talking about it. Study it. There's great books. There's even a great movie coming out. It's the testimony of Lee Strobel, who was a Chicago Tribune reporter, a journalist, who was dismayed, disappointed, angry that his wife became a Christian. So he set out on a quest to, and got his newspaper to kind of back him to disprove Christianity, and he ran into the resurrection and became a believer and wrote a book, The Case for Christ, and now it's a movie. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, Always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you. Become skilled at talking about the resurrection. I believe it's so important. Watch this. If somebody wanted to do an investigation into Christianity, where would you start? If the resurrection of Jesus didn't happen, it's a house of cards. You sure you want to give me that loaded gun? I'm pretty sure you're not going to be able to pull the trigger. I spent my entire career as a journalist uncovering the truth. Until the day my wife presented me with the biggest story of my life. I'm not going to lose my wife and my kids to something that I can't even reason with. And what happened next changed me forever. How can we even talk about historical evidence for the resurrection? The Gospels are filled with contradictions. The empty tomb is based on evidence. And isn't evidence your trade? We all bet our lives on something. The question is, what's it going to be? As much as I would like to help out a fellow skeptic, what you're proposing is impossible. Could Jesus survive being spiked to the cross? There is no evidence of anyone ever surviving a full Roman crucifixion. Just because I write something down and I bury it in the dirt, it doesn't make it true. What I felt was something more real than anything I've ever felt in my life. I'm praying for you. Do you really want to know the truth, or is your mind already made up? Stop blaming me and the church and God and do your job. culture in which we live is no longer going to accept that you're a Christian just because mommy and daddy were or just because uh, it makes you happy. They want reasons for the hope that is in you. Get equipped. Don't miss out on your opportunity to be a bold witness. They removed lack with great grace, generosity, Great grace was upon them all, nor was anyone among them who lacked. We say no lack. Not talking about wants, fantasies, but actual needs. For all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet, and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. The apostles weren't building themselves bigger houses and bigger stuff, getting rich. 
but they were making sure there was no lacking. As the church continued to grow by Acts chapter 6, they had to delegate that part of their job to seven men that were able to oversee it so that people weren't getting missed out on the daily distribution. Great grace caused this. Not a powerful sermon on giving or not a gimmick, you know. Get a new anointing times 10 for $2,500 like I've seen on TV more than once. I say that's a new anointing. Somebody's being a pig duping the saints like that. This was great grace, grace-empowered giving. If you cannot give cheerfully, I don't think the Lord wants you to give. The Lord loves a cheerful giver, not a begrudging giver, not out of guilt, but out of joy. Lord, I want to obey you. I want to serve you. I want to help meet needs. And I thank you, congregation, that you're in a room full of faithful people. Our income and expense statement for 2016 is available out at the information desk. It's been there all month long. Every week in the bulletin, you get a report of what came in last week and then a monthly report of what came in for the previous month and what went out and the difference. Thank the Lord for the months we have surpluses, amen? And we're able to meet needs of people and needs of missionaries and people in other countries and meet the needs here so that we can, we can go on. But what this church was in was an incredible season of beyond anything I've ever experienced. God is able to give us the grace to give when we need to give over and above that which would be normal. May the Lord give us grace to obey him, to do whatever he, whatever he would have to do. Last year we saw a couple members given cars. Man, when somebody gives you a car, that is a tremendous leg up. That's like a cowboy getting a horse. Awesome. That's a healthy church. A healthy church is one that has a culture of encouragement. The Lord help us to develop a culture of encouragement. They were daily in the temple and house to house, praying and breaking bread together. No doubt this was glorious fellowship. It wasn't a discouraging thing. It was an encouraging thing. In fact, there's no murmuring or grumbling or complaining that happens until... Acts chapter 6, and it had to do with uh, the, dis- the distribution not covering everybody. Lord, help us to be an encouraging place, a place where someone who's in difficulty can come to us and can be empathized and listened to, and then at the right time when the person knows they're loved and listened to, a word of encouragement, a word of wisdom can come from our lips to encourage them. They even gave nicknames to people. Verse 36 and 37, And Joseph, or Jose, or Joseph, Lord knows they had a lot of Josephs, Yusef, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, bar meaning son, and nabus meaning encouragement or consolation or exhortation. I believe the man became a prophet, a Levite of the country of Cyprus. Some say he was one of the 70. Others say maybe uh, he was one of those that became a believer on the day of Pentecost. Having land in Cyprus, sold it, brought the money, and laid it at the apostles' feet. The dude took a ship ride back home, sold the land that he had, and came back to help meet the needs of the people there in Jerusalem. An encourager. 
And he was acknowledged for being an encourager and encouraged himself by this name and became known as Barnabas. We really don't know him as Joseph. The Catholic Church, the Orthodox Churches celebrate him every June with Barnabas Feast Day. Maybe you've been to one of those. He was a Levite, believed to be one of the 70 maybe. In chapter 9, verse 27, he vouches for Saul's testimony. Saul was a persecutor of the church who God apprehended on his way to persecute believers in Damascus, blinded him for three days. The Lord sends a man named Ananias to baptize him and pray for him that he receives his sight and that he receives the Holy Spirit. But the church wasn't sure if this was all a fraud, if this was a fake, if this was a ploy. I mean, there wasn't no cell phones around to film the thing, just all by word of mouth. If this wasn't a ploy to get into the church as a spy, they weren't sure. And Barnabas put his name on the line and spoke on Saul's behalf so that Saul could minister. And so powerful was his ministry, he had to leave town and run to Tarsus. I don't know what the presence of believers were there, but later we'll see that uh, Barnabas went and got him. Chapter 11, this good man was sent from Jerusalem to encourage Gentile believers in Antioch. That same chapter, 11.24, talks about him being full of the Spirit and faith and going to find Saul in Tarshish, which is over 140 miles one way on foot to find Saul and then bring him back. The man walked almost 300 miles to encourage Saul. Two chapters later, he, with Saul, is called to do missionary journeys. And they go to Jews first and then Gentiles and various locations around the Roman Empire, planting many congregations. This is Barnabas. With Paul, chapter 15, his name had already changed. They report and appeal to the Jerusalem leaders concerning Gentile believers in the Old Covenant law. You know, do, do Gentile believers now have to keep the Old Testament laws and the men be circumcised and the women keep kosher kitchens? Do we have to do all that? There's 613 of these laws. What do we do? Thank God for Barnabas and Paul. They appealed on our behalf to free us up from a burden that Peter said was too great for them to bear. Verse 39 of Acts 15, he parts ways with Paul over John Mark. John Mark was either his cousin or his nephew. He had abandoned them on a previous missionary journey, went back home to his mommy, maybe, I'm not sure. He wanted to go with them again. And Paul said, nope, you blew it, you're not on my team. And Barnabas said, I beg your pardon. And they argued and wound up agreeing to disagree and parted ways. And Silas took Barnabas' place, and Barnabas took John Mark to Cyprus with him. That was in 46 AD. In 61 AD, 15 years later, Barnabas is martyred in Cyprus. They killed him in Salamis by stoning. In 70 AD, nine years later, John Mark, having been discipled and encouraged by Barnabas, writes the first gospel of Mark, the first biography of Jesus, and he wrote it for Gentiles. That may never have happened had not Barnabas been such an encourager. And because that book was written, then Luke wrote his, and Matthew wrote his, and John wrote his. What an encourager. Who wants to be an encourager? You do not know the ripple effect of the discouraged person sitting in front of you of what can happen if you take this as an opportunity to encourage somebody to build them up, to exhort one another and edify one another and comfort one another. 
Let's pray. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be people that encourage each other. And that when you give us the grace to give sacrificially over and above the tithe and normal offerings, that we would do it. And that there would be no one lacking in our midst. That all needs would be met, Lord. If there's anyone in need here today, Lord, help us to recognize it and do what we can. Help us, Lord, to be powerful witnesses of your resurrection, to be able to communicate effectively with the skills you've given us as individuals. Help us, Lord, to relinquish the ownership of all of our things and become your stewards of your blessings. Help us, Lord, to be filled with the Spirit often. Give us a hunger to be filled with the Spirit to the point that we are bold, that we are intoxicated with boldness. And Lord, may we seek you to enable us to do your will rather than escape to face our challenges rather than wilt. Help us, Lord, to pray for that. And Lord, to recognize your sovereignty in everything. Lord, I pray for that person that doubts you being in control because everything's not perfect all the time. Help us, Lord, to surrender to your lordship and recognize that you use all things to perfect us. And Lord, I pray that we will remember your promises whenever we're challenged and that we would unite together whenever we're threatened. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that we would be a healthy church, that we would reflect you to this community like never before, that you would make every congregation in this city a healthy congregation for your glory alone. Thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our city and in our community. I pray, Lord, for those that are doubting today, that you would encourage them, that you would use us, Lord, to be lights in this dark world. Help us to be that city on the hill that you said we are. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to call the prayer team forward in a moment to pray encouraging prayers over anyone wanting to receive prayer or wanting to be prayed with concerning anything in life, from being filled with the Holy Spirit to being saved and receiving eternal life to needing wisdom and how to deal with certain challenges. To being comforted, should you be threatened by anything. So at this time, let's stand. And as you're standing, I'm going to ask the prayer team to come forward and join me across the front. And as they're coming, if you'd like to receive prayer about anything, we'll be up here to pray with you.